Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored by SKP Creative. Are you having a hard time making social media work for your business? It can be more than a little tricky to figure out on your own, so just talk to the team at SKP Creative. They develop data-driven communication strategies to help your business grow and thrive. Visit skpcreative.com today to learn more and schedule a free social media evaluation for your business. SKP Creative. Make it happen. This episode is also sponsored by Wick Realty. Wick Realty is invested in seeing Emerald flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. So if you're buying, selling, building, looking for investment property, or if you're a first-time homeowner, talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. In fact, I've got a Wick Realty sign in my front yard right now. That's Wick Realty, W-I-E-C-K Realty.com. Okay, so this is a special episode because today's guest is me. When I launched my Patreon campaign a few weeks ago, I set a goal. If I could hit a threshold of $500 of monthly support, I would sit down on the other side of the mic and I would become the guest on this show. Well, we hit that goal last week, and I'm super grateful to those of you who are supporting this podcast every month, who've helped me get there. So as promised, after more than a year of these interviews where I'm asking the questions, I've become the guest today, and I answer the questions. I invited my friend Dusty Green, who's a former newscaster and the co-host of the travel series Two for the Road, to be the one asking the questions. And that includes the usual eight straight questions. And because I gave Dusty free reign, this episode ended up being, well, the longest Hey Amarillo episode to date. But we had a really fun conversation. I hope you'll listen all the way to the end. Um, So here's Dusty Green and me. Um, Okay, so we're recording. We're we're rolling? We're rolling. So uh, I should say welcome, everybody, to what was probably the most successful podcast in Amarillo history until today. (laughs) Because I am personally on board to derail this thing. It's all downhill from here. It's all downhill. This is the worst guest we could possibly have had. I don't know about the guest. The host is questionable. Um, But I'm happy to introduce myself as the host of the Hey Amarillo podcast. Uh, My name is Dusty Green. It is... A singular pleasure for me to be here today, sir. My guest uh, on this very special episode this week of Hey Amarillo is the man behind Hey Amarillo himself. The man, the myth, the legend. Temporary guest. (laughs) Temporary. Temporary host. Temporary podcast guest. Hi, I'm Jason Boyette. Jason, uh, hey, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Well, thanks. It is truly a pleasure to be here. You're doing a great job so far with (laughs) your... 57 seconds of podcasting. Yeah, hey, this is, you know, Nikki and I, we have tried our hand at podcasting. We even bought all of this equipment, which is literally have, it has yet to come out of the box um, because we, 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 we love the idea. We want to do this. And to be honest, we're, we're, we're following you and listening to you all the time, every week, of course, and you do such a great job. And it has certainly inspired us to do this podcasting thing. We just haven't found the time yet. Man, and I do. I want to talk a, to you about. It's a that. struggle for me too, but I do want to talk to you about that. And and among other things, because I am here this week to talk about Jason Boyette. Um, well, you have done this for more than a year mm-hmm. now, weekly, fifty-two plus episodes, um, where you you have interviewed these fascinating people 
um, from all different aspects and walks of life here in Amarillo in this area. But um, I think there are a lot of people who listen to the podcast and people who might have just heard your name or seen your name around town and think, who the hell is this guy? Who is Jason Boyette? I've been asked that question myself. When are you going to be a guest on your show? Yeah. And And I envision a a Bugs Bunny sort of scenario where I'm behind one mic and I ask a question and then run around to the other mic and answer (laughs) the question. I thought that would be really annoying, so... That would make a great video podcast. That would be. Well, man, I, I was I was really thrilled and tickled when you asked me to come in and interview you for this podcast um, because, uh, again, I I love the podcast. I love what you're doing, uh, and I love getting to know more about you because you're you're a fascinating guy. Well, that's what I tell people, but I <laughs> I don't have any real proof, so I, I'll, I'll lay all the facts out and, and let people conclude. The proof is, is in what you do. So let's just start. How, first of all, how are you feeling? Are you comfortable on, on that side? Of I'm more nervous about this interview than any of the other <laughs> interviews I've done because I have I have like no control here over what happens. So I don't I don't know where we're going or where we're going to end up. So. Okay. Now, to be very clear, I did ask Jason about the rules for this podcast. What is what is off limits? What's going to be what's going to stay off the record? Um we talked a, a, a little bit about the, you know, the darker times in his criminal past, mm-hmm. which we we won't get into. Several incidents. Yeah, those I've incidents we'll we'll keep those quiet. you not to mention. Beyond that, um we're free to talk about Anything. And so in the next 40 or so minutes, uh, we'll try to to do that. And so we can all get to know you a little bit better and not just you, but your motivations for doing the podcast. Um, And we'll get around to all that. But but first, man, I just uh, let's start at the beginning. Tell me about growing up. You grew up here in Amarillo, right? Born, born and raised. Not born, but raised. Oh, really? So I was born in Lubbock, 1973. You don't you don't. You don't say that publicly I, much. Well, I just did. My parents uh, both went to Tech. My parents are from this area, at least my dad is. Um, but they went to Tech, met there, got married, stayed there for a few years. Right. Uh, so I was born there in 73. Uh, my brother was born in early 1976. And then pretty soon after that, we moved to Amarillo. So my dad was uh, an independent architect, started his own business, uh, his own firm here in Amarillo, we moved here, and uh, so I remember a little bit from Lubbock, but I very much grew up uh, in Amarillo. So we lived, uh, built a house in a new development in the Paramount Terrace area. Uh-huh. That house was like the only thing on the block for a while. Back in the day, yeah. Um, my parents still live there. My dad designed it as an architect, so it's the funkiest house on the block. Cool. cool. Uh, went to Paramount Terrace Elementary, went to Austin Junior High, and then Tascosa High School. I was... The first freshman class at Tascosa when they moved from a three-year program to a four-year program in 1988. Oh, okay. Tell me about that, you know, growing up in Amarillo during that time, back in those days. You know, I grew up in Borger, and so to me, as a small-town kid, Amarillo was just this metropolis, this magical place that we we, we would get to go from the small town on field trips or, or whatever. What was it like living in Amarillo at the time as a kid, as a young man? I, I don't have any real, I guess, creative perceptions of what the city was. I mean, it's, it's all that I knew. Uh, so I didn't have anything to compare it with. Sure, sure. Um, but I, I lived in a relatively new part of town. I rode my bike, you know, about a half mile to school as early as second grade. Yeah. I was walking home from school, yeah. you know, as a second or third grader. Didn't think anything of it. Super fine. You know, nothing, nothing scary or anything like that. I, I didn't have those worries till I was myself a parent and, you know, was thinking about my kids doing that. Funny kind of how thing. that happened. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but I, I just knew it as a place where my family lived, where my grandparents lived. I had friends in my neighborhood. We would walk over to each other's houses, play football in the yard, play baseball at the park. Um, it was a very typical childhood, you know. Um, my memories growing up are of the restaurants that I love to go to and the movie theaters. I Mm -hmm. saw Goonies in, you know, first run (laughs) at the man or ET when it first came out at the Fox theater over by Tascosa high school. I I saw ET at that theater as well. First time I remember crying in a movie. That was really strange to me. I was probably like seven or eight years old. (laughs) I was like, is this a legitimate form of crying? I don't know. And, and, um, Western Plaza, the Christmas Christmas is at Western Plaza. I remember as a kid just being like the most magnificent thing. Well, Western Plaza was a place when, when we had longer lunches at Tascosa, we would go under the overpass on yeah. Western. I mean, it was a long walk from the school, but we would go to Western Plaza and eat at that little pizza by the slice place. Oh, you lucky devil. Um, which was like the only pizza by the slice place in Amarillo, <laughs> yeah. Giovanni's or something. Um, so yeah, I, I have memories of Western Plaza when it was a thriving mall. I do too. Yeah. Back in those days for sure. So you graduate from Tascosa High School. Now, you're a journalist. You're a writer. Yes. You're a creative type. Yes. Did those skills, did that, uh, those abilities sort of develop in you during that time? Yes. I was that annoying kid in your English class <laughs> who got excited when it was time to read Shakespeare or when there was a writing assignment that was a little bit creative. Mm-hmm. I'd, I loved that kind of stuff. And so uh, I, I remember we had an assignment once that was to tell a certain story, but to tell it three different ways. We had a, a story in place, but we had to tell it in the style of Herman Melville. And then we had to tell it in the style of Hemingway. And then we had to tell it in the style of Emily Bronte. Good grief. It's the most fun assignment oh I've ever gosh, had in school. you got to be kidding. Get I out I loved of it. And so it was one of those things that was so easy for me. And I would sit down, I would knock out a you know, a, a paper for my English class in 15 minutes on the floor of my room, turn it in, always make A's. And uh, I went into college thinking, well, I'm kind of good at this. Maybe yeah. I should try to do something like this. And and that creativity uh, was just something I knew I had some sort of, uh, oh, in, internal amount of, yeah. and, and I needed to find a, a career where I could use it. Well, where do you think that that sprung from? That, that creativity was that is that something you got from your parents you said your dad was an my, architect my parents are both creative yeah, yeah i mean yeah. my dad is an architect that's a creative uh career for sure. sure he was an artist did a lot of painting and sketching okay. my granddad was an artist my mom taught deaf preschool children for all of her career within the Amarillo school district which is sounds to me like the hardest job in the world you're teaching children who are deaf how to speak and how to sign yeah. And there's so much creativity to that. It's a, a totally different world of creativity. So I, I had a lot to draw from, I think, in terms of my family. And both parents pushed me to do that. Where Nobody said, well, I don't know, English degree, who's going to be able to do anything with that? Journalism degree, right. that's kind of right. kind of a dying art form. Right. Don't you want to make money at some yeah, point? Don't you, um, they, they, my mom always said, I think you should try journalism. I think you should try writing for the newspaper. I mean, she... She was very much an advocate for that. Okay. So you came by your creativity, honestly, graduated from Tascosa High School, and I know you went to Amarillo College. Was that where you went to right after Tascosa? Yes. So I went to Amarillo College, uh, started as a radio TV major. Uh That lasted about two weeks. (laughs) I I got into, one of my electives was uh, a journalism class that Mike Haynes taught at Amarillo College. 
and realized really quickly that that was a good fit for me and I could do that. It, it was very natural. And so at Emerald College, I um, switched to a general mass comm major. I became the news editor of the Ranger, the, the newspaper there, then became the editor of AC Current, which is the magazine. And I held that position for two semesters. And this was 1993, 1994. So that's at the cusp of graphic design mm-hmm. going from a thing that people did by hand to a thing people did on computers. On Quark Express. Quark Express. Oh my gosh. Early Mac Quadras. Yes. Oh my um, gosh. You know, news, the, the <laughs> newspaper there, we were actually composing on a computer and then printing it out and pasting it up, yeah, the yeah. hard copy. So it was like right in that in-between time. Getting the hot wax back in the pasting oh, yeah, room yeah. And, and putting the wax in the backs of the articles. And- so I learned not just how to write journalism at Amarillo College. I learned graphic design using Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop, like 2.0, <laughs> Cork Express, um, all of these design skills. And so when I was editor of The Current, I was writing for it. I was the editor and I was the designer for two semesters. And just, I look back at that 12 months and everything I do now goes back to that two semester time period at Amarillo College, Funny how which is so happens. crazy. Yeah. Had no idea. Yeah. Um, so I graduated from AC, stayed on a little bit uh, to take some, I was working full time and I, I took some advertising classes there and then went to West Texas A&M uh, to finish out my two year degree and got an English degree there. So it was like all English classes from that point. Um, again, immersed in Dickens and Hemingway and Shakespeare and just loved it. The classics. The classics. Left there and uh, knocked around doing some communication work until I landed a job at Trafton Printing, okay. uh, which is now known as Sinveo. Right. Uh, and they had a sort of a little boutique marketing agency unconnected to the print shop. I mean, Trafton was a print shop. It was just presses and stuff. Right which I knew, and they had printed The Current for us when I was at Emerald College. Uh, but, but they had this little boutique. They, print, they printed every current. They still, I mean, print, still print The, the Current, current. Yeah. exactly. Uh, Tony Freeman, shout out to him, because yeah. uh, I think every AC uh, journalism alumni has worked with him for the past 35 no years doubt. or so. That's awesome. Uh, but they hired me for that marketing department, knowing that I was a copywriter and a graphic designer, which are two skill sets that don't always go together. Brought me in, and uh, I worked there for about the next five or six years. Moved up to art director, to creative director. Eventually, was running that little that, that little corner of the business, uh, and that immersed me in the advertising and marketing worlds. And I've been in those worlds ever since. Now, now, now w- when you graduated with your with your um, degree in, in in English, did you have any idea of where that was going to take you? I know that's that's kind of a loaded question. I know the answer, but you know, did you think it was going to take you down to Trafton Printing? Oh, well, and particularly for for X number of years. After. No, no, I didn't think that. I knew I wanted to get into communications. I didn't really know what that looked like. Right. I don't. Maybe if to be fair, maybe nobody does. Nobody does, and, right. and even today, I mean, my daughter's a mass comm major. Okay. She doesn't know what she's right. going to do. Right. The things I do now did not exist. Mm. 20 years ago, they certainly didn't exist even 10 years ago. So I I knew I wanted to get into something involving that creativity. Um, Design was part of it. Writing was part of it. My long-term goal, though, was to be a writer. And the the thing that a lot of people don't know about me is, is I graduated from WT. And like that week, I started writing a novel. And for the next two years, I worked on that novel every day, wrote it, finished it, 
shopped it to You've agents, gotta be kidding me. got some agents You've interested in it. <laughs> um, but ultimately I, I couldn't get it sold. I couldn't do anything with but it. But you, you had it written. I had written a novel by the time I was 23 years oh, old. That's, that's amazing. It's still in a closet here in my house. Is it collecting about dust somewhere? About seven people have read it. <laughs> what, okay, give me the rundown on it. What, what, what's it about? What, what's the genre? What's the story? Um, it's a, an adventure thriller, a shepherd who is a former Green Beret type uh-huh. uh, from Desert Storm, the original one. Right. Uh, got totally burnt out on all the stuff. He had PTSD, although people weren't really talking about PTSD back then. So he becomes this super nonviolent pacifist loner shepherd up in the mountains of Colorado until a group of young backpackers uh, needs his help, and he has to overcome a lot of his demons in order to help them That's, and protect them. <laughs> well, I, I'm, it's your typical violent shepherd story. <laughs> Yeah, just that's why it hasn't gone to print. It's just, there's just so many of them out there. I, uh, the, the, the competition was overwhelming. Uh, so, so you you've written your first novel at 23, and you've gone on to this career. Not to to, to get sidetracked from what we were talking about with your, your career at Trafton, but during this time, you're still writing. You're writing and writing and writing. I'm writing and writing, but at, you know, at Trafton, I'm writing newsletters for retirement homes and supermarket chains, and I'm writing letters and brochures. Right. And so I begin writing for other people and learning how to adapt my writing style to other individuals' voices or to different audiences, and also writing about things that I don't know anything about, especially at like 26, 27. I don't really know the um, retirement center audience, but I have to learn to write to that demographic. Right. I don't really know the world of high finance, but I have to write to high net worth individuals because one of our clients was an investment company. And so it, it gave me sort of that ventriloquism training um, as a writer. I like that. Not yeah. with my voice, but, but with my ability to put together words and sentences and stuff. And I found out I was good at this copywriting kind at, of thing. At throwing your voice on paper. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, whether I knew stuff about it or not, right. you know, it, a lot of it was just the confidence and the ability to take terms and use the terms correctly and talk about something that you don't know a lot of stuff about, uh, which is another sort of seminal moment because that led to a career now as a ghostwriter and as someone who continues to write for organizations and corporations and other people that are not me. Well, and you know, I, I've I've obviously done some research on you, and I've gone through Amazon because uh, on Amazon you have at least twelve books on Amazon under my name, right now, under your name, right? Um, how many books are out there that you've ghostwritten? More than that number. More than that number. Yeah, yeah a fair I number. keep it vague. Though. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, so that to, to me, that the whole ghostwriting thing, I mean, everything you've done for clients and continue to do, like you said. And I, and I love how you put that with ventriloquism through your writing to be able to not immerse yourself in a world, but kind of do a little more than stick your toe into the waters of a world, but come away from it thinking, okay, I can sort of relate to this at least enough to get this message across that I need to get across. That's one thing to do on a newsletter. It's an entirely different thing to do in book form mm-hmm. or, uh, or ghost writing for somebody. And as a writer myself, I've been a writer my whole life, and I appreciate the finer aspects of it, not just to write a novel, but then to write a book for somebody else on a different subject, and a book you know is not going to carry your name. That is just a fascinating thing to me, and you've done it so many times. 
It's definitely a skill uh, that requires, as a writer, a form of humility. You know, a lot of writers, well, I don't want to say a lot. Some writers can be very precious about their craft, their voice, cultivating a voice, the way that they express themselves. Right. Um, if you're going to be a ghostwriter, you can't have any of that. You have to disappear into the voice of whoever you're talking about. Right. If people read something and think this is ghostwritten, then you haven't done a real good job as a ghostwriter. So you can't be there at all. And so that requires not only putting your own ego aside, you know, in order to become someone else. Which is, I mean, you're writing a book here. And so f for me anyway, the, the ego part would be really hard to put aside because I'm, I'm writing a book and I want to let the, the I world... I want my name on it. I want the world to know that I've written this book. But uh, you, like you said, it's, that's not part of the deal. Sometimes it's part of a deal. Is I it, mean, okay. it, it can be, okay. and it depends on the contract. You'll see some books that are a celebrity, you know, wrote this with someone else, and that's a small name underneath their large name on the cover. That's a form of ghostwriting. They didn't write it with someone else. That someone else wrote the book. Wrote the book, right. <laughs> um, and there are contracts where you can do something like that, or you are totally invisible. The, the most interesting offshoot of that is less about the books, and it's more the social media ghostwriting that I've done in which I have provided content and written for several celebrity accounts, you know, that nobody has any idea was not that celebrity okay. talking. It, okay. it was me. So, so, and you probably can't give specific examples. I cannot. Okay. No, I understand that. But give me specific examples of what that means. If you can be, I know you'll have to be kind of vague about it, but Let's say I'm a celebrity and I want to hire you. Okay, so to... name a celebrity. Oh, gosh. So uh, I'm not coming up with anybody. Name name a, a prominent musician. A prominent musician. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, I, I, I'll go with one of my favorite guys, Robert Earl King. Okay. Texas musician and storyteller. All right, but so I don't, I don't know Robert Earl you King. Don't, okay. I do not write for him. Okay. I have no contact with him. I don't really even know what his Twitter feed is like or his Facebook feed. But let's say Robert Earl King knows he needs to have a presence on Twitter. He knows he needs to have a Facebook page. Maybe he knows he needs to have an Instagram page, but he's like, I'm a famous musician. I'm writing songs. I'm performing. I'm on the road. Okay. I don't have time to do that. Right. He talks to his manager. Find somebody to do that for me. Well, the manager will hire somebody like me to populate his Twitter feed and his Facebook feed and all that stuff with relevant posts in his voice. So it might be the kind of stuff, uh, in, in most cases, it's the kind of stuff like, hey, I've got a show next week in New Braunfels. Right. Starts at 7 o'clock. It's at this place. Here's the ticket info. Robert Earl Keane probably doesn't know all that stuff. I mean, somebody else has <laughs> somebody set it up for him. He's not like, now what time does it start? <laughs> yeah, right. He just rolls in when they tell him to show up. <laughs> sure. Um, and so when you have a celebrity account that is very consistent, you know, it's posting two or three times a day. It's got all the details of the next concert. It's got all the links of where to buy tickets and stuff like that. You can rest assured that there is probably not a celebrity like Lady Gaga or Robert Earl Keane or Lyle Lovett or whoever that's doing all that stuff. Right. They've got a manager doing it or they have a manager who's hiring somebody like me to do that. Which makes total sense when you when you say it out loud like that and we're sitting here talking about it. But and maybe it's it's you know, it's kind of heartbreaking because you see something, you follow I follow Robert Earl on Twitter or mm -hmm. Facebook and I think, oh, he's posted that, you know, and so you feel that kind of personal connection with him when in fact he probably like you said, he probably doesn't have much to do. Maybe he does, maybe, maybe he doesn't, he doesn't. He does. maybe it's a combination of the two things, which at this point is what's happening with a lot of accounts. Okay. Is you'll have um you'll you'll have a celebrity who's pretty good at the photography, you know, and maybe does the Instagram feed or something like that. 
But a lot of the day-to-day details, especially if they're worried about cultivating, you know, their their followers and their community and building engagement on their page, asking questions, stuff like that. I mean, there's there's not the time in their day for sure to right. do that. Right. Uh, and so I I figured out I was a really early adopter of Twitter. Around 2008, I think I started tweeting, and by 2009, uh, I had uh, an organization in Dallas that I had connections to ask me if I would be interested in helping them do Twitter because they thought maybe this is something we should do. We can connect with our audience and our donors and stuff. And that was my first social media client. And from there, you know, it was them sharing, hey, this is the guy who does our Twitter feed or this is the guy who does our Facebook to some of their friends. And it grew to where at at any point uh, over the last 10 years, nine years, I've had six to seven of these accounts going at any one time. And it's been Grammy Award winning musicians, um, you know, people, names that you would recognize if I was But you legally, can't give me one. I, you can't give me a name. I can't. Uh, you know, there are some non-disclosures gyp. that maybe have uh, have fallen by the wayside because they're no longer <laughs> my clients right now. But, you know, I, I like I, know. I don't want to kiss and tell. I it's it's I, good for the mystique I, and it's good for the business. That is super cool, though, man. That is super cool. Um, well, it's weird. You know, it's it's one of those careers that, like, absolutely, 20 years ago, that was not a thing anybody did because Twitter didn't exist. Facebook around. didn't exist. Right. But because of my communication background, my ability to write my ventriloquism with a keyboard, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was in a position to be able to do that to kind do of thing. It. And you've been doing it well. You've been doing oh. it well. And, uh, you know, I want to talk about how that sort of evolves and translates into what we're doing with a podcast and talking about things that just weren't around 10, 15, whatever years ago. But, you know, I want to go back to to, to the books that you have written and, and not to, to dwell on it a lot because there are a lot of books. By and large, they're on some pretty deep subjects yeah. um, that we could spend a lot of time and, you know, really get into this stuff and, and have some great conversation. But you know, I actually, I'm not a reader. I would love to profess to be a reader. I love to write. I just, man, and maybe it's my ADD or just whatever. I don't have the discipline to be able to sit down and read much. Um, I expected that you would have done your homework and read all yeah, no, no, 12 I, plus I, of my books before coming to the table here. Yeah, no, I, I, I did pick up a copy of Oh Me of Little Faith. Okay, so and, that's a good one. And I'm, I'm, I'm working into that one. Um, and also your 12 major religions of the world, which religion is a theme throughout a lot of what you have written in these books. And I don't want to necessarily get into religion. What, I, what I'm curious about is, as a guy who grew up in Amarillo, and maybe this just goes back to, to your curious nature, your, your, your creative nature. What is it about those things? You know, because when you're born in the panhandle, and I don't mean this in a derogatory sense, you're born into, by and large, a certain kind of life that is primarily conservative. It's primarily Christian religious. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks go through the course of their lives, and that's totally fine. They're totally comfortable with that. They wrap themselves in those blankets and they live a good life, and they're happy with, with the way things are going. People love blankets. Blankets are great. <laughs> blankets keep you warm. Yeah. Blankets keep you warm. Um, but then there are those people who, who you know, if there is a bubble uh, that extends across Emerald and the Texas Panhandle, a, a, a bubble that's there because we are certainly geographically isolated and in a lot of ways culturally isolated that contributes to this whole idea that people are comfortable with, with the way things have always been, it fascinates me to see people who are cracking um, cracks into that bubble and mm-hmm. looking outward at the world around and not being reactive about the world 
You know, when, when things happen outside that bubble, I think here in the Panhandle especially, we, we take the attitude, we, we react to it because there's just not a whole lot about what's going on out there that we know how to relate to. But then there are people like yourself who look outside that bubble and they are proactive. They're like, I want to learn more about these things that I don't understand, which I love. I mean, especially given what, what we do now with the travel show, I love that. And maybe I'm not making any sense no, at all I, here. I get it. Um, where does that sort of curiosity come from? I, I don't know that I can identify where it comes from. I can tell you that it was always there. Okay. I was a church kid, all right? So we were, went to a Southern Baptist church uh, that my family went to. And we went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Um, we were involved in all kinds of stuff. My mom taught the special education classes. My dad sang in the choir. I grew up in church. But I was one of those kids who was always asking questions. Mm. Mm. I would pretty much ignore the sermons as a kid, and I would dig through the Bibles you know, that were placed in the pews. And I would be reading like Song of Solomon, and I'd be elbowing the kid next to me being like, do you see what this says? Do you see what they're talking about right here? I don't, I don't think pomegranates are actually pomegranates in this, this poem here. You know? and, and so I'm like reading ahead and all these violent stories and these crazy Old Testament scenarios. Um, and so I was, I was asking questions then because nobody was preaching about that stuff. Um, so that biblical fascination was there. I was also, we talked about me being kind of an English nerd as, as a high schooler. As a kid, at the age of three or four, I wanted to be a paleontologist. Before I could say the word paleontology, I wanted to do that. And I remember one of my earliest memories as a kid is having come from Sunday school and, and reading the, the story of creation, you know, the seven days, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, you know, on the third day, God created this, while also having read the previous Saturday, a book about dinosaurs that talked about 300 million years right. and you know, the Paleozoic era, and I could not figure out where the Cretaceous period fit within the Garden of Eden story. Where does that... Where yeah, because suddenly there were just like foxes and, you know, sloths and stuff hanging around <laughs> Adam and Eve, and there were no dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, and so I remember having... I mean, that's a pretty profound existential spiritual question for a kid to have. And I, I don't ever remember not having that question. Hmm. And so that, I guess, openness to asking questions and studying things and trying to figure stuff out and not being afraid of the answers I might find is just something I've lived with all of my life. And so as I got into high school, I began reading not just, you know, Hemingway and stuff like that for school, but I was reading theologians and, you know, Catholic theologians. When I was a 17-year-old Southern Baptist kid, I was a dork. I mean, totally. <laughs> Big religion nerd. You keep underscoring that I, point. I, I, I look back and I was like, who does this? If my <laughs> right. own kid was like reading, you know, Jaroslav Pelikan, you know, <laughs> instead of playing basketball at 16, I would think he was a weird kid. I was that kid. So that just started like a whole process of me trying to figure out what I believe, trying to figure out what the Bible was saying, how it got written, all of these big religious issues. Mm -hmm. And so when I had opportunities to become a writer, to write books, that was the subject that I just grabbed onto. I went to be able to take these big things because nobody around me was asking questions that I had. Right. None of the adults had good answers to my questions. Right. None of my peers seemed to even care about that stuff, and that really bothered me. And so 
I wanted not just to help people understand religion more. I wanted them to at least have a background, enough of a background to ask some of the questions mm. I was asking. I it that. really bothered me that I was sitting next to people in church that just didn't care about the history of all this stuff. Um, and so most of my books are religious. Um, they're on very big religious topics like the apocalypse or the Bible or sainthood or the afterlife, but in a very accessible way so that some 25-year-old like me or an 18-year-old or whatever can read it and get educated and enjoy the reading process. It doesn't read like theology books. Um, but it, it is wanting people to understand more about a faith or a religious system that they're dedicating their whole life to. If you're going to give your whole life to it, I want you to know what you're doing, you know? Absolutely. What's I, the platform you're standing on? I, and I, again, I just, I, I love that. Uh, but getting to know you and more about you and reading what little I, I have read, it's it's not preachy at all, which is good to me because I'm a curious guy too. I'm not really religious, but I'm super curious and I I have learned to question everything, right? And I I, I hate that we sort of live in a society now that, they are firm in what they believe, and they don't question everything. I mean, it's fine if you firm if, if you firmly believe what you believe, but come to that conclusion after you've after you've asked some questions. That's that's where I come in. I mean, I'm still out there asking questions and investigating, and that's why I, I really took a shine to to what you're writing. Well, good. Books. I mean, and I am too. And I look back, and I just you see a thread going through all of your life. I I grew up in this really conservative church background where I was taught to value the truth, that the truth mattered. Right. Well, that's something that evangelical Southern Baptists believe. That's something that journalists believe. And so that journalistic thread of asking questions, honestly asking questions, and knowing that the truth should be able to come to light by following those questions has just been something that I've held to be true all of my adult life. Yeah. And, and so that passion for the truth, for finding out the truth of this, whether it's a religious system, whether it's a story, whether it's a political issue or whatever, uh, is just something that has always driven me. And I figure that, um, that the truth ought to be able to stand up to honest questioning. And, and so it, it frustrates me these days, not to get too political, but then you see evangelicals right now at this moment in history that are citing against a lot of things that I've always thought were true were the, yeah, right. and are not so interested in it as they were when I was, you know, a teenager. Yeah, yeah. And so all the angst I felt as a teenager about all of these things, it's, it's not a big deal anymore. <laughs> uh, and that's super frustrating, but well, we'll get off that subject. Yeah, right. We'll, we'll, we'll move right along, but I do, I would encourage anybody to, to pick up any one of your books. And, you know, again, I just love how it introduces these things in such a way where it's not preachy. Um, it's informative, it's enlightening, and it's an easy read. So It's an easy read. A lot of professors use my books on a college level as like the book to whet students' interest in the subject before they get into the heavy stuff. I like that. Yep. So it's like a real easy overview of whatever they're teaching. Okay, so so you're the weird kid. Still. You're, you're still the weird kid. And here you are, still in Amarillo, Texas, a place where traditionally weird kids aren't necessarily part of the popular crowd. You know, you've been here this whole time. You've been asking these questions. You've been doing all this writing, doing all these things. And, well, you're still here. 
Yeah, I'm still here. I, you know, I keep coming up with a, a more clever, trying to come up with a more clever way to, to say that. Or ask why haven't you left? Why, why are you still why here? Why are you still in Amarillo, Texas? And I can say that, you know, with, with an honest heart, because people ask me the same thing. I mean, why we travel the world. Why do you still live in, in the Texas panhandle? Why why are you here? Why are you in Amarillo, Texas? Well, I mean, the truth is I could live anywhere at sure. this point. Yeah, Most absolutely. of my clients, other than one or two, are not just not in Amarillo. They're not in Texas. Mm. I mean, I've got clients in California. I've got clients in D.C., and I could live in Europe if, if I wanted to and continue to be a social media ghostwriter or copywriter or whatever. Um, one big thing about this area is that this is the place I know. This is the place I love. It's the place I grew up. I don't really have a huge desire to leave at this point in my life. My family is here. My parents are still here. My grandmother is still here. My um, my brother and his family live here. So this is a wonderful place for me to raise my your roots, kids. Your roots run My down. roots are here. Right. Um, but beyond that, just as an area, I love this area. Mm. Um, we're an easy drive to Dallas, Oklahoma City, Albuquerque, Denver, any of those things. So I can get to a lot of parts of the country from here. But one of the big reasons is that I can make a pretty decent living and have a good quality of life here in Amarillo working as a self-employed writer that would not work if I was in San Francisco else. or New York City. Right. Um, and, and that's, that's a reality too. And I've had opportunities to move somewhere else. I've had job offers, um, and I've considered them, but the risks or the, the things I would give up have never outweighed what I would gain or have always outweighed what I would gain, I guess is a better way to say that, um, that I would, I would be abandoning a place that I love just to make more money or just to have a more prestigious career. And that never felt right to me. And so, yeah, this is this is my home at least. We're talking about principles now, Jason. Come on, nobody has principles anymore. I do have. Nobody believes in anything. I'm I'm here. You know, I've got a kid in in high school and a daughter in college at WT. And as long as as we are tied to this area still, uh, there there could be a point where I do travel the world or I do go someplace else. But man, we're planted here and and we're thriving here, and I love it. Well, you're not only tied here, buddy. You are getting more tied to this place by the day. Well, some of my my products now have the name Amarillo in the title, and so I do have to think about that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you 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 have taken this love for this area and your knowledge of this area and the people here, and you are now part of that effort to you know, not reinvent Amarillo, but maybe so in a sense, maybe at at the very least to give Amarillo a new direction, which I think is really exciting. Is that, is that, is that a fair way to put that? Um, I hesitate to say I'm trying to do this thing and push Amarillo a certain way or anything like that. I don't think there's that much intentionality behind it. Um, I would say that I reached a point where I thought, you know, I do all these things that are benefiting people outside of where I live. Mm-hmm. And I, I have gotten so much from this community that I need to reinvest some things back into this community. And that led to me not just starting this podcast, but also getting involved in city boards and volunteering in certain places. As, as a journalist, I write for Amarillo Magazine, which gives me an opportunity to talk about nonprofits and about calling attention to things that are important here. And more and more, as I've progressed in my career, I felt a pull to take all the pieces of Amarillo that have helped make me who I am Mm -hmm. and try to share some of that back. Yeah, okay. And that, I mean, 
to put it that way sounds like, well, now I'm doing this and no, I'm going to give no, you something. No, I, I don't think so. I, I, I know where you're coming from. But it's, it's wanting to give back to a community that has given a whole lot back to me right. um, in the first place. And so that, that's a driving force behind a lot of what I do at this point. And I'm trying to balance it with my career and with stuff that makes money and, and whatever. But I am much more involved now locally than I have been in my entire life. And it's good. I mean, the, the stuff that I do that's tied to Amarillo is the most fulfilling stuff that I do mm. right now, mm. which is not something I really would have expected two or three years ago. Well, you know, uh, you, you put something on Facebook a few months ago now um, where you, you said, and I'm paraphrasing here, you always hear about, you know, when is somebody going to do something about this? And you had the realization that, you know what, maybe that somebody ought to be me. Yeah. What were you, what were you talking about? I think the first thing I had that thought was when it was about 18 months ago, and I was listening to a podcast. Between, Those podcasts are powerful man, forms of medium. I, uh, I've been hooked on podcasts since they started. There's one, of, one of them I listened to is like 12 years old, which is as old as podcasts are. All right. <laughs> um, and so I was listening to one, and it was an interview from a host that I don't know, but it was with a friend of mine, a guy that I know, and he was talking in this, and I was finding all these things out about him that I didn't know because of that format, right. that sit down with me for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, tell me your story. You know, you don't get that when you read an article in the newspaper about something or a magazine article or whatever. There's something about that medium. And I thought, man, there are people in Amarillo that I would like to hear their stories. Somebody should start a podcast about people in Amarillo. And I drove about 10 or 15 miles further. You know, I was somewhere between like Memphis and Clarendon. <laughs> and the realization. Yeah, and I was like, oh, hang on. I'm a local journalist. I know a lot of people. Hmm. Well, hang on. I know how to do podcasts because I had a podcast I did with some other guys, you know, in 2011. I thought, oh, no, somebody needs to do this. And maybe it's me. And I couldn't let go of that, that I thought it could be cool. I knew I would listen to it. So should I be the one to do it? Hmm. And it's a huge investment of time, you know, and I knew that going forward. I was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to do this. I'm busy enough as it is, but I, it, I couldn't shake it. Much more so than people realize, much more so to do a podcast. And I only know that because we try, we, we, like I said, started into getting it, doing a podcast and, and kind of abandoned that because we just didn't have the time, but it, it requires that commitment, especially with what you're doing on a weekly basis. So I, I, mean, I admire you for a lot of reasons, but especially just for getting that done. In, in in coming up with with the idea for this podcast, you are still working in a medium that is relatively new to this part of the country, and there's certainly no guarantees that it's going to go anywhere. Did you have any expectation that people would latch onto it and that you would be doing these more than a year later? No, I, I really didn't. I thought I thought of it as an experiment. Yeah. I'm going to try this. I'm going to do it every week, and I'm going to do it well. And we'll see how long I can keep doing it. I, I made a list of potential guests, and that was about 150 people long. And I thought, I'm never going to get to all these people. <laughs> Maybe I'll do 10, and then I'll see what happens. And I, I just kept doing it. I kept thinking of people I wanted to interview. I kept getting feedback from people who were listening to it. The numbers kept growing. And you know, it wasn't long before people would recognize me You know, out of the restaurant. They're like... Are you Jason Boyette? <laughs> That's so crazy. It's crazy. I know your voice. I don't know what you look like, yeah. but it, I heard you talking. Yeah. And, and so that's really weird. You know what that's like. I mean, you, you're a news personality, but yeah, it, it has succeeded beyond what I thought it would. 
because I didn't really have any models to draw from. I didn't know of any intensely local micro focused podcasts. Right. You have a podcast, you want a million people to listen to it all over the world. Right. I didn't expect that. I thought maybe, you know, some people in Amarillo might be interested, maybe the family members of whoever I'm interviewing. Whoever I'm talking to that day. Um, and so, yeah, it, it has grown beyond what I thought. Well, in terms of numbers, especially, right? Just in terms of your audience, things are going well for you. Um, numbers tell one story, but they don't necessarily tell the whole story. And to get the whole story, I think you kind of have to look into yourself and what you're doing and, and what you set out to do, what your intentions were to begin with and think, okay, is this, I've got good numbers, but is it doing what I hoped it would do? Right. And it is. The, what I wanted to do was I wanted to have conversations with people in Amarillo who were doing interesting things. For one thing, that would educate the residents here about who lives here and why people live here and what's possible here. Mm. I wanted to use it to build community, which is a a very woo-woo kind of way to describe it. But I know that, you know, I, I have intentionally tried to have conversations with people that I don't think most listeners would engage in conversations with. Which is a In risk, some cases. Which is because people want to hear from big names, right? Well, people true. I mean, people want to hear from big names. And I, would, I do want to have some big names. Those are some of the interesting people. Right. But it needs to be balanced with people that you don't recognize. Agreed. And it needs to be balanced with people who have a perspective that you don't recognize. Agreed. Because... I think if a, a a community of people who are all exactly the same and all think the same thing and all do exactly the same approach to life is going to be a super boring community. Yeah. And it's not going to be a very strong one. Yeah, not very happy one at that. No, for sure. And and so I, I, I think as we are at a moment in, in the city where we are growing, where a new generation is starting to rise up, a generation of entrepreneurs and of business owners and restaurateurs and stuff, I, I want to kind of increase the platform for that kind of diversity in voices and interests and passions and introduce that to a city so that we understand we're not all a bunch of people that think the exact same thing. We're not all a bunch of 55-year-old white guys who are running a business, that, that there are people of value that are doing great things in this community that you may not know about. I've ever heard of. But that. I want to introduce you to. Right. That's great. And and the format lends itself so well to that. You know, I was listening to your your podcast with Wes Reeds on the way over and he was talking about how, you know, in a podcast, you are just invited into the conversation. And for the kind of conversations that you're talking about and introducing people to essentially their neighbors who who, who they know nothing about, only good things can come from that. Yeah, it's it's intimate. It's a great way to get to know somebody. People are sometimes hesitant to talk about themselves. Uh but willing to in the right place. And, and I think this gives people, uh, it, it makes it okay for someone to share what you're passionate about. And when people are sharing what they're passionate about, even if you don't know anything about it, even if you wouldn't have thought that subject interested you, it becomes interesting. And so some of my best episodes have been people that nobody knows, huh. but they are good at one weird thing, and they can talk <laughs> about that for 25 or 30 minutes, and it's, it's really engaging. Talking about being passionate. And, and doing this and talking to people who are passionate about what they do in this community, you are doing so many things. And it's just, it really, it boggles my mind that you're able to do everything that you're doing and then throw this podcast on top of it, which I know, I know is not paying many bills yet. Those, those, those are the projects that, that have heart. Um, and so tell me your passion. 
You know, is it is it this? Is it writing? Is it the city? Is it all of the above? Do you have too many passions? <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. I have too many passions. My passion has always been to do the things that I'm good at. So let's say you have a set of talents. Whether you cultivated those or not, those talents are some sort of gift. Mm. Whether you think of them as a gift from God, a gift from your genetic history, a gift from your upbringing, a gift from the universe, however you choose to look at it. If you give somebody a gift and they don't use it, as a giver, you're annoyed. You want people to use what they've got. Well, I, I realized at some point as an adult that I had some gifts, and I wanted to find a way to use those in a productive way. And that's taken a lot of different pathways. Sometimes I was using it to provide for my family. Other times I was using it to help educate people. Right now, I'm using it trying to, to do some good things in the place where I live. And so maybe it's the podcast is a reflection of that. The Amarillo Magazine stuff is a reflection of that. This city public arts board that I'm, I'm the chair of, that's, that's me doing things I'm good at and, and hoping to improve this larger community for my friends, for my family, for my kids, um, because I feel like I'm equipped to do some of that stuff, and I don't want to just use those tools to benefit an organization in Washington, D.C. I want to use those to benefit the place where I live, the place that has raised my kids, the place that has taken care of my family for 50 years. As I mentioned earlier, this episode is sponsored by Wick Realty and SKP Creative. Their sponsorship comes courtesy of my Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash heyamarillo, where individual listeners like you can support the show on a monthly basis. You'll get bonus content that not everyone gets to hear, but mostly you get to contribute to the continued existence of this podcast. You help me keep making Hey Amarillo. Now, one of the support tiers is for $100 a month. Uh, I've named this the sponsorship tier, and it gets you a monthly ad like you heard earlier. It's an economical and ongoing way for businesses like SKP and, and WIC to stay in front of my listeners to support a local creative product. So to learn more, go to patreon.com slash heyamarillo. That's Patreon with an E. So this, I've been looking forward to this part of the show since I walked in the door. Not that you're not a super charming individual and fascinating in so many ways, but you know, the eight straight questions. I mean, that's really where we get to the, the, the nuts and bolts of a person. I get asked this all the time. When are you going to answer those questions? So, um, yeah. So, everyone, welcome to the part of the show that we call, that Jason calls, Eight Straight. So, Jason, I know you're not familiar with this part of the show. I have no idea what's coming. But I'm going to ask you eight questions, pretty direct questions, and you uh, feel free to answer those questions in any level of authenticity or honesty if you just want to blow smoke at me, that's fine. It'll I will not be ghostwriting these questions. These will be my actual opinions. Okay. And I, you know, some of these questions are familiar, but I threw in a couple of wild cards. I'm prepared. At you. So let's, let's, let's get right into it. How do you describe Amarillo to someone who's never been here? I talk about the isolation of Amarillo. That it is the biggest town in a geographical area that's about the size of what, New Jersey plus Delaware plus Connecticut or something? The size of the state of Ohio is yeah. what we used to say at the And the it's the state. one big town, and it's, you know, six or seven hours from all the other big cities. And so everything we have, we've had to do ourselves. Yeah. You know, the original pioneers, they, they were a three-week journey from 
any city of substance. And so they had to just create their own life out here. And that independent spirit totally defines Amarillo. So we take care of each other. We're friendly to each other. We are champions of each other when we succeed. We have been a do-it-yourself culture since long before that was a thing uh, because we couldn't rely on anybody else. And so that independence and um, hardiness, Mm. I think, is every bit about who we are. Absolutely. Continues, always has been, continues to be. I think it will it, it will continue. I mean, we're not three weeks away from any place anymore, <laughs> right. but we're still a, we're still a Although land it seems of, like it well, sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> you have to fly to Dallas and then wait. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we are a, an average-sized town. We're not huge, but we've got a lot of cool stuff because we decided, or our forebears decided, we need some of this stuff. Nobody's going to give it to us. Let's do it ourselves. Let's do it ourselves. What is your favorite time of year here in uh, Amarillo in the Panhandle? I really like late spring, early summer. Um, and the reason why is that my f- I, I've always been a runner. I like going out at night and running. I like going out early in the morning and running. And the best time of year is like late May, early June, when it's about 60 degrees. Mm-hmm. It's not really humid yet, you know, about 7 or 7.30. It smells all fresh and stuff. I mean, that's, that's, that's my favorite time of year. And I, so it's, it's not hot, but you know the summer's coming, and there's something good about summer being there. Uh, but it's before you get to the point of summer where you're ready for summer to be over. So yeah, I think the easy answer is fall, you know, because fall is beautiful. But a lot of people know, say fall. But you're, I, I, I'm with you. I love the springtime, too, because of, uh, you know, the change in the weather. And, of course, I'm a storm chaser. I love oh, sure. I love the energy of the thunderstorms around You got time. more daylight during the spring and summer. Daylight. And, again, you know summer is coming. Mm-hmm. So you have the, always have that in the back of your mind, that summer's almost here. And summertime in the panhandle is... Uh, it can get hot, of course. It can be really nice until late June, yeah, August or so. Yeah, but it's not a bad place to be at all. What is your go-to spot for coffee here in Amarillo? And I know you like to frequent the coffee houses. I do frequent the coffee houses. So the one I go to most often is Palace uh, for a variety of reasons. I, I meet with a lot of clients or people, and Palace is usually the suggestion because there's one downtown, and I talk to a lot of people downtown. Um, I've recorded a number of podcasts at the Palace Summit location at 34th and Coulter because they have a little glass box you can reserve for free and use it for conference rooms You're kidding. and meetings oh, and really? stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, so I, I go there a lot to actually record podcast yeah. episodes. But I have I've been known to meet people at Evocation. I love that spot. Um, I, I introduce visitors from out of town to evocation pretty often because it's got a very different feel from most Amarillo coffee shops. And I'll still have meetings at roasters. I've been going to roasters for 15 years. So um, I love that we have a diversity of shops and I think all of them sort of having their own flavor, their own character is good for people who love coffee because they push each other to be better and I love that that competition that we have. And who would have thought 10, 15 years ago that we would be talking about Amarillo as a coffee town? Yeah, it's a coffee mecca. Yeah. People who know who the coffee world know Amarillo. Know Amarillo. Yeah, that is, that is too cool. So what does Amarillo then not have enough of? Amarillo does not have enough options for water recreation. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. I love going places like Albuquerque or Austin where every other car seems to be a Subaru Outback with a kayak on top. Yeah, right. And people can just take their kayak or their canoe or their stand-up paddleboard 
and hop into the lake, you know, Lake Travis or the Rio Grande in Albuquerque. Sure. I mean, there's those places where you can just take a boat into the water. Well, Amarillo has a lot of water in the city limits. Some of it's Playa Lakes. Some of it are, you know, these city parks that say no boating, no swimming, you know, whatever. Right. I could go to Greenbelt or I could go to Meredith, but that's an hour away. I want to be able to just get off work, take my kayak and just paddle around for a while. <laughs> that's what I like to do when I go on vacation is that kind of stuff. And you, there's just no place locally to do it. Well, there's probably not going to be any time no, soon. No, that's like saying Amarillo <laughs> needs more mountains and forests. Right. We need less wind here. Can Geographically, we do something about that? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I will say though, um, and it is an hour away. But one of the many reasons we enjoy living down uh, where we live around Lake Greenbelt is Nikki and I bought kayaks at the Tractor Supply in Pampa. They were on sale. We went and picked them up on a whim. And they are some of our most prized possessions because when we're home in the summertime or when the weather allows, we make a point at least once a week to go out on the Greenbelt and to do some kayaking. We, we have been able through that to see that place in a whole new mm-hmm. way. I mean, literally, of course because you're on the water and going to these places. But I, I would just, you know, if you had the opportunity, um, not just you, but anybody, and not that we want you down there crowding up our lake. <laughs> but no, really. Rollins, right. Go right. home. Yeah, stay stay where you are. No, it really is a nice little getaway, and, and I would recommend it. If, okay. if only I lived closer. That, yeah. that hour's drive just, it seems like too much I, on I, a busy I, you know, Like I said earlier, that the housing market in Howardwick is wide open, buddy. I'll, I'll, I'll get you a hookup on a place. Hey, too. Howardwick would be a great podcast. <laughs> I'll interview Dusty. Yeah. That's the end of the show. Oh, okay. So what um, does Amarillo have too much of? I don't know that this is unique to Amarillo, but I think we have too much litter or people disposed to litter. I am still stunned that this day and age, I will be behind somebody at a traffic light and we'll just see them extend their arm with a sonic bag out of their window and drop it and just, there. Boop. Yeah, that is crazy. Or flick a cigarette butt, you yeah. know, out their window. I don't know what it was about my upbringing. I would never think to do that because in my mind, that's like saying, I can't be bothered to keep this in my ashtray till I get home. I'm going to throw it away and you throw it out somewhere. Right. I can't do it. And I don't know if it's a self-absorption or a refusal to think about anyone else, but it drives me crazy. It's just enraging. It does. It, oh it does. Yeah, and you're you're absolutely right. I, my one of my first houses in Amarillo that I rented was on Washington Street, pretty close to the college, but right there on all that traffic on mm-hmm. Washington Street. Um, and I was a young single guy, and um, I had a yard which I was really proud of, and so I bought a lawnmower, you know, and I was going to keep. It was on Washington Street, so I wanted everybody to see how nice it was. The first time, not just the first, but then every time I went out to mow, I spent at least the first hour picking up mm-hmm. cigarette butts out of that. Just an unbelievable amount of cigarette butts out of that yard. Um, and so, yeah. I, and I've, I've I, never I just, been a smoker, but I just don't understand. I'm finished with this. Now I will just drop it I'm on the ground. Put, yeah. that, that's never made sense to me. When is the last time you visited Palo Duro Canyon? Okay, so it was this spring, uh, probably March or April, uh, which seems like way too far away from now. But Amy and I love, while the kids are in school, uh, we love to take off on like a Friday morning or something because I'm self-employed. If I can make it work with my workload, I'll try to do it. Right. We love to go to the canyon to hike the trails or run the trails or just 
you know, spend three or four hours out there. There have been times when we've done that eight or 10 times a year. This year, it's been only that once just because I had a podcast to do on Fridays a lot of times. <laughs> Funny how that That's works. a good editing day. Um, but no, we, we uh, hiked up the Rock Garden Trail, which is our favorite trail there, and ran down it, which is what we like to do. Nice. It's a, it's a super cool trail. Doesn't feel like you are in Amarillo, the Panhandle. Doesn't even feel like you're in Paladuro Canyon. It's such a weird part of the canyon with these giant rocks and hoodoos and stuff. It feels like another world, and we love it. I wanted to throw that question in there, not just to get you motivated to go to Paladuro Canyon again, but to get me motivated, to, to get to talking about it, you know, because you talk about, it, man, it's been way too long. Have you ever hiked that trail? I've never hiked. Okay, that trail. so we're gonna go. We'll go and meet there and hike that trail. That sounds like a it's plan. awesome. That's not, we'll, we'll get the whole, we'll get the whole group. Yeah, all the listeners. Podcast meetup on a trail. <laughs> That'd be cool. Uh, who is your favorite local artist, musician, author, creative type? Ooh, is there somebody? Do who I need to out? name somebody in every category? Definitely. Yeah. There's no, about fifteen categories, so we're gonna be here a little while. Um, that's a that's a really hard question because I know at this point a lot of musicians. Sure. I know a lot of writers. I know a lot of creative people. To name one, I think, is going to offend all the other ones, but I'm going to do it anyway because I don't care. Um, <laughs> one, one band that I've enjoyed seeing perform live over the last year is a duo called Fine and Dandy. It's Daniel Davis and Ben Cargo. Daniel plays keyboards and acoustic guitar and Ben plays uh, acoustic guitar and they play like, you know, the music from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Just oh, kind of sure. that old twangy hymns and stuff yeah. like that. They're two super creative hip millennial guys and they do that kind of stuff. They're doing it. No kidding. And, and they're so good. They together, they have really haunting voices. They're songwriters. They write their own stuff. And it sounds like, you know, something T-Bone Burnett could pick for a soundtrack to, to any Coen Brothers movie. So, I love watching those guys play live. I've seen them on several occasions and find myself recommending them pretty often. Do they have a place where they play fairly regularly? Um, they they are change, becoming but. a lot more frequent uh, in Amarillo's music scene. Okay. Um, both of them, you know, have other jobs. It's just like every musician. Every, I mean, right, they're busy, right? And haven't really recorded anything that I know of, other than a few songs that you can find on YouTube. So. Um, it's still a relatively new, I guess, musical act, but, uh, so got to go seek them out, but yeah. they're around. They were, they, they did a show at Yellow City Sounds, um, which is a pretty big yeah. festival, uh, with, within the last few weeks. So it's, um, yeah, they're, they're fun. Look Fine and dandy. Fine and dandy. One more question. This is number eight. And I, I, I'm really interested to hear your answer to this question. Who would be your dream guest for this podcast, whether they be living or dead, a current or historical figure from Emerald in the Panhandle. Who would that be? Okay, I'm going to go dead because I want to interview a ghost. No. <laughs> You're a ghost writer. Uh, aha. So. It would, okay, so it would be Bones Hooks. No kidding. Bones okay. Hooks, um, you may, if you live in Amarillo, you may just know him because there's a park called Bones Hooks right, Park. Right. Uh, it's, it's in the North Heights subdivision. Bones Hooks was the second African-American to ever live in Amarillo. So he arrived here around 1900, um, and he was a full-fledged adult at that point. He was born, I think, in the Dallas area. His parents were freed slaves. He got a job like driving a chuck wagon for some rancher when he was nine years old and grew up a cowboy and was known all across Texas for his exploits as a cowboy. And so here was a black guy who had the respect of all these crusty old white dudes yeah, on the bet. ranch. Yeah. 
found his way to Clarendon, then found his way to Amarillo. And in Amarillo, he, he drew from that respect that he had among the ranching community and turned it into a respect among Amarillo's business community. And so he was a leader of the African-American population here in the early part of, of the 20th century, helped start some of the first black churches in Amarillo, helped a lot of the um, the longstanding businesses in that community get started. He was instrumental in bringing like the first dentist and the first black doctor and stuff to Amarillo. And then because of his connections with, you know, the, the wealthier people in the city, mm-hmm. he was able to get the North Heights subdivision started and make that happen as a community for the African-American population of Amarillo. So he was a leader in that world. He was respected in the white world at a time when those places, those two worlds were very, very separated. Very mutually exclusive. Um, and so he is like, one of the founding fathers of Amarillo has a super unique story and everything I have read about him just makes me think I would like to know that guy and spend a few minutes talking to him. And so he probably doesn't have a good answer as to like, what was his favorite coffee shop or anything, but <laughs> right. I would love to spend, he wouldn't, he wouldn't do so well in the eighth straight. No, I'd love to spend 30 or 45 minutes with bones hooks. No doubt. What a great conversation that would be. Is there a, a book or some uh, material, you know, out there that you would recommend for local folks to get there, to know him better? Yeah. So there have been a couple of books written about him. Um, there's, there's one about, I don't know the exact title. It's about African-Americans in Amarillo. Okay. Uh, and he is so central to that story that he appears every few pages in that book. Right. There's one that's just a biography of him called Bones Hooks. And, and that's a really good introduction to his life. And as far as I know, the only real biography about him. And I've always thought, you know, one of those things where you think, man, there needs to be a better book about Bones Hooks. And then I think, maybe you should write that I book. Say, I wonder if you know and then I talk authors. myself out of it because that's a lot of work. Yeah, but yeah. no, I, I, I've been participating in a project that is, is digging into the history of North Heights and the community and the buildings there. And just Bones Hooks is all over that place. Wow. And he's, he's such a huge figure in the history of this city. What, man, that is terrific. What a, a fascinating answer and a great answer. That, that's too cool. Okay, I, I lied when I said that was the last question because you do this to people. You, I do You this. take them through the eight straight and then you throw number nine at them, mm-hmm. which is um, your in- endorsement. If you could just, you know, endorse something here in Amarillo, maybe something that people know about, maybe sp- something that people don't know about, but just something personally um, that you think people need to know more about, what would that be? I am going to take a risk. And the risk is that uh, I'm afraid that people will just see me as, if they don't already, as just a stupid cheerleader for the city, which I am. And if they think that, I don't care. But I have been involved in, as I said, several civic city-associated boards over the last couple of years. Um, Some other initiatives with entities related to the city. And that has put me into contact with the people running the city government here. City council members, mayor, Jared Miller, the city manager, the people who run some of the different departments. And all of them are passionate about Amarillo to a surprising degree. I haven't found anybody that's just like, a dead-eyed bureaucrat like you might have seen on Parks and Rec or something like that. These are people that love their jobs and love the city and are trying to make it better. And every time I spend time with somebody who's employed by the city, I come away really grateful that that person is in that job. And I, I, I know it's really cool to be suspicious of government right now. 
And there's a lot of people that whatever decision the city council makes or the mayor makes or whatever, they're going to look at it side-eyed. Mm. But which man, they should. Which Everyone they should. should I think degree. people should. And we we have earned that to do it because we had a lot of problems with our city government for <laughs> well, several for years, sure, right. which is an understatement. <laughs> right. All that is to say, when I interact with people in the government right now, yeah. it makes me really hopeful that we are moving the right direction, that they have the best interests of our city at heart. And we're not always going to agree on the different details or what needs to happen or how it needs to happen. But I've reached a place where I don't want to automatically think they've got some agenda because I've seen that agenda. And the agenda is always, I think this will be good for the city. I think this will be good for the people that live here. And boy, as much as I want to be a cynical writer or a cynical journalist or something, I've not been able to do that (laughs) in these interactions. Again, you keep questioning everything, hoping to find a dark answer in some corner. I know. And I feel like I keep encountering Leslie Nope of Amarillo, you know, (laughs) just these, these people who are great people. So that's my endorsement, city government. That's a really lame endorsement. I know, but it is a a surprising endorsement, but one that is um, delightful to hear because you just don't hear those sorts of things anywhere. It really in any municipality in the world anymore. Ten years like. from now, I may have to take it back. You, but right. right now, we're in a good place. Right. Wonderful. Well, you know, there um, there's a lot of really interesting things going on in Amarillo. And of course, I, I get to look at it from the sidelines because I don't live in Amarillo anymore. We're, we're a little bit out of town. So I, I get a, a little more of that, um, you know, 30,000 foot perspective sometimes. But Amarillo seems to be going in a really exciting direction, which as a kid from the Panhandle and a kid who spent a lot of time in Amarillo... Um, is really exciting for me and for a lot of us uh, of like mind. And you, my friend, are a part of that. Whether you want to admit that or if that's intentional or if that's just a byproduct of what you are doing, which seems to me that's what it is. If anything, I've stumbled into it. That's, that's, that's amazing. And the city is better off having you here, having you doing what you're doing without a doubt. So Hats off to you, and thanks again for letting me come in and wreck your podcast. Hey, for, thanks for, for asking so. such great questions. Hey, and it's it's really been you a act pleasure. like you've done this before. <laughs> and, and you know, we may have to do that. Hello, Howard Wick uh, podcast. Uh, if if we start that up, I'm gonna hit you up for some technical advice. You could be my first uh, <laughs> podcast startup launch <laughs> yeah, corollary. That sounds like a plan. Okay, um, do you want to close this out, or am I? How is this going to work, Dusty? Thanks for having me on as a guest on Hey Marilla Podcast. You know, it's been a pleasure having you. As a guest on your own podcast. In fact, you are the finest guest I have interviewed on this podcast to date. So take take that home and sleep well on it. I will sleep well. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers, buddy. Thanks a lot. And that concludes the episode. I finally, I want to say thanks to Dusty for standing in as the host. Um, you can learn more about his career and his travel adventure show at twofortheroad.com. You can find out more about this podcast, of course, at heyamarillo.com or look for us on social media. And if you appreciate this show, you can support it by becoming part of my Patreon community. Go to patreon.com slash heyamarillo. Executive producers of Hey Amarillo include Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, Wes Reeves, Jennifer Callahan, Ryan Pennington, Katie Linger, and Corey Burns. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sponsoring and supporting this show. Thanks to Dusty for sitting down for the interview. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.